Blog Talk Radio. State of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, verdict count one. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as to count one, first degree murder, guilty. I've been in the right place, but it must have been a wrong time. I done said the right thing, but it must have used the wrong line. I've been on the right trail, but it must have Good evening. This is Clear and Convincing with Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien where we explore the most infamous cases in our country's history based not on the court of public opinion, but from the perspective of the courts. This time the court will read the verdict. On count one, the verdict reads as follows. We, the jury, find the defendant, Stephen A., Avery, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the first count of the information. Good evening, and thank you for joining us for a bonus episode of Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas. Tonight, we're talking to Katie, a former former Jacksonville, Arkansas resident who was terrorized by Aaron Lewis and Crystal Lowry from the fall of 2013 to midsummer of 2014, and just two months before the couple kidnapped and murdered realtor Beverly Carter. In March 2020, Lowry wrote a letter to Governor Asa Hutchinson to request a reduction of her 30-year prison sentence that would make her eligible for parole after serving only 10 years on her capital murder charge. Katie reached out to us after listening to our episode about Lewis and Lowry that aired in October 2019 because she's concerned that Lowry remains a danger to others and bears equal moral culpability to Lewis for her part in the crimes committed against Beverly Carter. We'll talk about Katie's experiences with Lewis and Lowry, her continued concern about the couple, and the impact her experience and the subsequent crimes had on her. And good evening, and welcome to the show, Katie. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. Hey, guys. Hi, Michael. Hi, Lisa. So... Um, before we before we get into talking to Katie, I just want to kind of refresh everyone's memories. Beverly Carter was a realtor in the Little Rock area who worked alone and was basically lured by Aaron Lewis and Crystal Lowry to a remote property. Lewis met her there, tased her tied her up, put her in the trunk, brought her to their home in Jacksonville, and held her there. Once they determined she wasn't a rich broker like they thought she was, they decided to kill her and bury her in a a concrete plant 
where Lewis worked in Cabot. Um, basically, they used spoof phone and email addresses. They promised a cash sale. And luckily, they left enough of an electronic trail that police were able to identify them. Uh, Lowry, in 2014, entered a guilty plea and agreed to testify against Aaron Lewis. And Aaron Lewis was convicted of capital murder and kidnapping in 2016. So that's where we stand now. Um, Hi, Katie. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and your background? So my name's Katie. <laughs> I am I am a transplant to Arkansas. I'm I'm not from here. Um I've been here for about a decade now. Um I somehow ended up neighbors with, with some crazy people and, and so there's a story to be told. Uh not the story I wish I wish was to be told. Right. Um, that's, you know, that's because you're normal. <laughs> yeah. Very <So>. true. <laughs> and you're a good person and, you know, you, you have sympathy and empathy and think about others. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, just how you met Aaron Lewis to begin with? So it's, it's insane. Um, I was married to my now ex-husband for 10 years. Um, but something, he worked odd hours. And so it's late, it's the fall, it's dark outside when I'm picking the kids up after work. Something's wrong with my car. And it completely dies in this halfway into a parking lot of an assisted living home in Sherwood, Arkansas. And my gas light wasn't on. My gas, the, the gas gauge said that I had three quarters of a tank. So I pull in and I'm frantic. Something's wrong. My car is dead. I don't know what's happening. I got babies in the back seat. Um, several people stopped to help us, um, one of which was Aaron Lewis. He comes up and he's like, everybody's like, okay, what are we going to do? And I I don't know what's wrong. I don't, whatever. But he says, are you sure you're not just out of gas? And I was like, but it doesn't say I'm out of gas. He's like, yeah, but that could just be a fuse or or whatever. I don't know. I don't speak that lingo, obviously. So he goes and he takes this water jug, like a gallon water jug, and he fills it up with gas and hurries back, which thankfully you could see the gas station (laughs) Uh, but he puts it in my car. My car starts, and I'm good. He's like, this is a newer car. That doesn't make any sense. It has to be gas. He was right. So he puts the gas in my car, and I leave. But I noticed that he's behind me the whole way, and I was uncomfortable. I actually went past my house and then realized that he pulled in four doors down from me, and I thought, oh, my gosh, don't freak out. He's just your neighbor. I went home and maybe 30 minutes later yeah 30 minutes later he there's a knock on my door my husband at the time still wasn't home um and I opened the door and it's him with a pit bull and I was like hi 
the girls, I noticed we were neighbors. Are you okay? Is everything okay? Is your husband home yet? Nobody will be. I'm cooking dinner. I got to go. So I shut the door. And that was that for at least a little bit of time. Right. And then you and your husband separated. Right. So several months later, almost a year later, um, my ex-husband and I actually separate and, and he leaves the home, which obviously involves moving trucks and, you know, all kinds of things that if you live four doors down and you don't work, you see all of it. So after my ex-husband leaves the residence, um, Aaron Lewis is back at my door with the same pit bull. And once he has all these questions and I was like, you know, everything's fine. I'm good. I was really, really on guard. Um, then he said, the only reason I'm here is because my girlfriend, I noticed you don't, you don't leave the home. So like you work from home and, and she does too. And she's really lonely and it's, it's hard as an adult to find friends. And so I get the impression that he wants us to be friends. But I want mm-hmm. nothing to do with him. So I tell him, well, look, I coach for Beachbody. If she wants to come over and work out with me, I work out every day on my lunch break. It's at noon. If she wants to come, she's more than welcome. And soon enough, probably the next day, she comes over to work out with me, which was normal for the first day or two. But then she starts to kind of allude to this, like, really toxic relationship where she's fearful and he's not faithful and and all of these things. And then at that point, I'm protective of her. Before I know it, she's hightailing it from four doors down, running to my house at noon. I open the door, let her in, slam it in his face, and I have to tell him, like, if you do not leave, I will call the cops. You you will not hurt her when I'm here. So I was, like, instinctively protective of her. But I soon realized yeah. that, that that's not really what was happening. It was staged. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like from yeah, the beginning you were you were leery of both of them. Uh-huh. There was something that, you know, you just got a hinky feeling. Then. Right. Like I got married at 21 and I was in a 10 year relationship. I had no idea what the outside world really was like because I kind of was sheltered through all of that, like growing up phase. And so I had a feeling, but then I wanted to protect her, but I didn't like him. It was weird. Mm. It was, like, hard for me to reconcile in my own head. But I I think that, in the end, that's really that hinky feeling that you had with each of them. Because I think you you mentioned Crystal asked a lot of questions and seemed to be inordinately interested in the details of your life. Yeah, even what my ex-husband paid from the beginning, what I made, Mm -hmm. 
like, like what my salary was or, or whatever, um, what my bills were. Like she had weird questions that like, for me, I'm an accountant. So like I ask those questions when I'm in like the work atmosphere, but I've never in my entire life had anyone ask me those questions. So mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was not, something was off. Right. And then like you yeah, said, they would stage the domestic, stage the domestic disputes and Crystal would run to you and bring right. drama to your, to your doorstep. Right. And I had, I had small children. And at the time, my ex-husband was screaming from the roof. He had, like talked to several different neighbors because we lived there for like three years. But he talked to several different neighbors and asked them to keep tabs on me. And he was screaming, Katie, you're being groomed. These people are going to hurt you. And I was like, you're just, I don't know. You just don't want me to have friends because I'm young and I'm dumb and I'm not listening. And he was like adamant about it. And I didn't really listen until it got really weird. And I had no choice but to listen. Right. But again, that's, you know, you're a nice person and you thought you, you thought you met somebody who needed your help. Right. And that's what you wanted to do. Which, especially working from home with young kids and recently divorced after like your entire adult life, you've been married. It's like, oh my gosh, there's an outsider. Let's be friends. Like, how can I help? You know, and then, and then she's Mm -hmm. this victim and it's like, I'm here for you. I've got this. But I didn't have it <laughs> to eventually right. say, like, y'all have to deal with your stuff by yourselves. I don't want to be a part of it. I can't do, I can't do this. You, I cannot do this anymore. Right. And then uh, when we talked last night, uh, the final straw came when they came to your house. Because that was another thing. You, you didn't trust them enough to go to their house. So they well, came so to your yeah. house for a movie night. Well, this is what happened. So after she she came running to my house, and it was this whole dramatic from him, then the next morning she texts me, and she's like, look, I think I gave you the wrong impression about him. He really does love me, and I don't want there to be some, like, weird tension between you two because you're my friend and he's my dude. Can what? we like do something all three of us? Listen, like it's crazy. And in my head, I'm like, come hell or high water, I will not step foot in your house because I have absolutely no control. Then, right? I was like, if you guys want to come watch a movie or whatever, you can. So they came over and they brought a movie, and they brought like this scary movie. And I don't remember what the movie was, but I do remember that in one of the scenes. They had all these, like, invisible lines of some kind of string. And when the people tried to run through it, their body got sliced. And it messed with me because I don't watch movies like that. But I'm sitting on one couch, and they're sitting on another couch. And they're, like, cuddling, and things are good. And I'm like, okay, you know. I mean, I've had arguments before. Like, I was married for a long time. That happened. Um but the next thing I know, she gets up, and she goes to the bathroom, lands the door, and my kids are asleep. So I kind of, like, look at him, and he gives me this eye roll, and he gets up, and he goes to the bathroom. And 
they have some kind of argument where she says, well, I guess you're just not going to do it, are you? And at that time, I had no idea what that meant. They have some the other argument. It starts to get loud. I make them leave. Um, but I, I don't really hear anything else about that after that. Mm-hmm. Now, I know exactly what I guess you're just not going to do it means. That night, right. she wanted him to do something to me. They had talked about it. It was planned. It was it, Everything was supposed to go. Hey. And he didn't move. Oh. Yeah. And that was the point when you decided to cut off contact with both. Yeah, because at that point, even though I didn't know what those words meant, you can't come running, hightailing it four doors down to my house. I have to stop working. I have to deal with you, all of that. And then you want me to make peace with this boyfriend who, at this point, I don't trust at all. Not with you or me or my children or I don't even want to live four doors down. Like, I I don't trust that. But then you come Mm -hmm. and you're like, hey, let's make peace. And then you guys get into an argument in my living room. I can't do this. This is too much for me. Right. So I tell them to back off and deal with their relationship privately. And, and they have no, they did not want to have any part of that. Hmm. Right. Wow. Oh, my. And, yeah. And they, they, they just ignored that. And then the stalking and harassment began. Well, when that all happened, and I told her that, she cried, and she got real upset, and she tried to, like, lure me in with the, but I have no one but you, and I don't have anybody that understands, and all of that, and I was like, Crystal, like, I I can't do this, so then she calls me, this is actually something we haven't talked about, and she tells me that Aaron Lewis had a child with another woman, that he went to prison prior to that kid being born. So he's never even met the kid. So they got married in order to fight for custody of or visitation with this other child. She actually bought my son's toddler bed from me to make a room for this kid in their home. All of that's going on, but I'm, like, still trying to, like – I don't know, separate and kind of like not be involved in any way. Mm -hmm. They get into it again. But this time she, he, in order for her to allow him to make a bedroom for this, this little kid that thank God they have no, in order for that to happen, her trade off was you have to buy me a boob job. So he does. So she calls me. I had this boob job. Aaron's not even home. I can't get up to go to the bathroom. Like, I'm just, I'm in so much excruciating pain because she had some medical condition. I don't remember what it was, but like, she had something that made her pain receptors way higher than they, they should be. So Fibromyalgia? All of that I don't remember what it was. It, it might have okay. been that. I don't, I don't know. But she had something. And so, I went and got her, and I brought her to my house. 
and it was two days before Aaron even came to look for her. So she's really upset about that. And this whole time I'm like, look, I cannot do this anymore. I'm not going to leave you hurting alone. But at the same time, I want out. So that was kind of where that ended. And they were not happy about that, either one of them. Next thing I know, like, I had blocked them from social media and calling me or texting me, but they downloaded these apps to where it would create new numbers. So I could block 100 of them, but they could create 100 more. And it wasn't just like, hi, neighbor. It was, and here I am, a single mom by myself in this house in a place that I'm not from, and I was scared. And in the beginning, I thought back. I thought, okay, you're going to scare me? Got you. I'll do something else. And that kind of went tit for tat for a little bit, but every single time they did something, I made a police report. But there's, like, I, I can say a hundred times, do not contact me anymore. And then they respond from a different phone number. can't technically prove it's them. Even though I know it is, it's not going to stand up in court. So we're we're kind of in this like weird limbo of what I can prove and what I can't. Right. So that is, and the impression I got as well is that they both are slick talkers. So yeah, when, they, when they were questioned, I know, <laughs> but you don't really have to be smart to be slick. You you don't have to be smart to be slick. And in fact, if you are smart and slick, then this conversation wouldn't be happening. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But they were also in, uh, they were in a gray area. Yes. Where gray, and that, like, there wasn't verbatim. a lot. There was nothing I could yeah. prove. I, I couldn't, I could say, I have these text messages and like, I know it's from them, but they're like, but it's not their phone number. Mm. So yeah, that escalates to the point that I'm literally fearful for my life and the lives of my children. Um. I worked from home, so the only places that I would go were to appointments for my kids. And at the time, he had this green crotch rocket. I did not go anywhere ever, ever in this two-month span where he was not behind me. He followed mm-hmm. me every single place that I went. She may or may not have been there. I don't know. It didn't matter to me. I was scared. But I would come home, and one or both of them, oftentimes, would be in my yard. Either they brought their own lawn chairs inside of my front yard, or they were sweeping my driveway, or, like, trying to make it look like to the neighbors that my ex-husband, at that time, like, had told, like, please watch out for her. Like, nobody should be there. Please make sure she's safe. Well, they're messaging him, like, but they're doing chores for her. 
the whole thing was so wrong and messed up. It's not even funny. Bypass them to get into my home. They were terrifying. They they would jump my fence late at night and turn the hose on and let the water run all night long. So then I'd get a two hundred three hundred dollar mm-hmm. water bill, and I have no idea what happened. They would leave post-its and notes on my door. They like they were always there, always watching. Right. And I think you told me um, when we initially talked yesterday, um, which surprised me, when I look at the pro se documents being filed by Lewis, which, don't worry, are not going to get anywhere, um, the handwriting I thought was Crystal's because they are still married. And no, ma'am. you said no. No. Nope. Aaron Lewis writes like a girl. He does. He's got very, very more feminine handwriting than she even does. I struggled to mm-hmm. read her clemency request letter. But what he writes, you can't not be able to read that. Like, he has mm-hmm. very, very feminine handwriting. But I guess it's what happens when you're a seven-time felon and you spend all this time and federal and state and all of this. Exactly. So, uh, and then the escalation, um, you, when we talked last night, um, it got to a point where you could not do anything else. You did the last thing. Let's back up just, just, just a tiny bit. So, Something happened. He kept coming. So when I wouldn't talk to her, she kind of stayed away for a little bit. But he would come by every day. Can I borrow a drill? Do you have a screwdriver? I need a cup of sugar. And at first, to keep the peace, I would give him whatever he wanted and, like, lock the door. And then it got to a point where I wasn't going to entertain that because that meant that I was still connected somehow. Mm-hmm. So I started to get and refuse. Well, he loses his mind, and at one point, he's got a wife beater on and literally tears his wife beater off, screaming like Godzilla. And by the way, this dude weighed like 160. Like, there is no Godzilla there. But he, like, <laughs> freaks out. And, like, that was so awesome. And so my kids are crying. Because this this is crazy and not normal, and I don't know what to do. So I call my ex-husband. I'm like, look, you're going to have to come sleep on this couch, or I have to move right now, and he will follow me because I cannot leave this house without him following me. So my ex-husband does. He comes and he, he sleeps on the couch for however long this till it ends. But after he did that, And then I also had the backing of my ex-husband. I thought, okay, bet. You got a pit bull. And that's illegal in Jacksonville. So I called animal control on his beloved pit bull. And they came. And I don't know for sure if they took the dog or not. But that was it for him. He had had enough. And it was, all bets are off. He was gonna. They were gonna get me. That was it. 
I I done the thing I wasn't supposed to do. So a couple days later, I worked from home and I went to go pick up my son from the bus stop like I do every single day. But I had a, a conference call that ran just a little bit late, like two, three minutes, like not even anything significant. I get the bus stop and my kid's not there. So I wait. Everybody comes off the bus, not my baby, who's in kindergarten. I call the school. And they're like, nope, we've confirmed he got on the bus. He should be there. Just wait a little bit because maybe if I wait and I wait and I wait and I call the school back and I'm like, he's not here. What happened? Well, I don't know. Hang on just a second. So they call people and call me back. No one knows. So I go home and I'm literally about to call 911 because my kid is missing. Mm-hmm. What do you know? Crystal Lowry and my child come to my door with a fresh back, batch of cupcakes and my son has his head buzzed. They cut his hair and did a horrible job at that. And like my eyes are as the size of cantaloupes. I, I would just like Take to my- say that I commend you for not whooping their ass on the spot right there. I'm just saying. Can I just say that, like, I'm concealed carry holder and they're lucky they're not dead? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that happened. But in that moment, I was terrified. I wished that I would have been fiery because Beverly Carter would be alive. Terrified. Mm-hmm. If they're going to go to that level, they know no limits. Right. And you didn't want to risk your kids. In wow. that moment, I was so scared. It, it didn't yeah. even register mm-hmm. at all. So I've got my baby back, and that's really all that mattered to me in that moment. Getting away from them was number two but I didn't know how because every time I call the police they're like "Eh, it's just a neighborly dispute you know like I really can't do anything about this and I'm like you gotta be joking like that's not real so I got all of my police reports all of my documentation every bit of evidence that I had and I went to the police department, the Sherwood Police Department, and I said, I need to talk to a captain or a chief or somebody. And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. They were like, well, you can talk to a lieutenant. I don't want a lieutenant. Nope. Mm -mm. Captain, chief, that's it. Like, I don't even know where those words, because I don't know anything about the legal system. So I end up sitting across, and my husband was with me, but I end up sitting across from some captain or chief or something I don't know what he was and I give him all of the everything and I literally unlock my phone and hand it to him like look I cannot escape this and this is scary and he said if there's one thing I don't stand for it's bullying let me see what I can do so I left kind of with like my hat in my hand right like 
well, I mean, let me see what I can do. That doesn't mean anything. But he called me the next morning, and he was like, I was able to get the judge to sign this arrest warrant and this no-contact order. So they did. They arrested him, which happened to be on, like, a Friday, which meant I had all weekend to move. So I did. I moved within 24 hours. And I never thought that I would hear anything ever again. Mm-hmm. But I did. Two, three months later, not only is his mugshot all over the news, but so are my police reports with my name. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's at large. Like, go ahead. Remind him of me, please. Thanks so much. Like, there's the mark on my head. True. I can see your point. Yeah. They should have at least left your name out when they... Well, I sent them scathing emails and said, like, do you have any idea how much danger you just put me in? Mm. Y'all haven't found him. Yeah. Find him before you, like, make him remember me. He was... But it was only a, it was a short time. I think it was less than 12 or 14 hours. And then the guy at Subway. I think it was a few days. I think it, it was like Oh, it was a few days? Probably. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Sure. I, like, that was crazy for me. But mm-hmm. I think maybe yeah. it was a couple days. And then, yeah, he did. Okay. He got bombarded. Yeah. So, and then after you had moved, when he got out, uh, going back a little bit, he actually had made threats against one of your other neighbors. Yes. So. Was that when you were gone and then he picked a new target or were they terrorizing the entire Randall Drive? They were absolutely terrorizing the entire neighborhood. Um, But it escalated once I left, and then I was no longer an option. Um, He he or she, I don't know, it's all third party, but, like, there were threats because, who I won't name because it's not fair, um, didn't do whatever they wanted them to do, which I do think... Never mind, I won't say that. Um, whatever they were supposed to do that these that Crystal and Aaron wanted them to do, they did not do. So when they didn't, all of a sudden these flood, this flood of text messages and threats, like they threatened to rape and kill her and light their children on fire. Like I got screenshots of those text messages. The craziest thing is that I don't I don't know, but sometime between June and September when they took Beverly Carter, that couple's house burned to the ground. And we all, every single person from the neighborhood thought that Crystal and Aaron had something to do with that. Nothing was ever proven. We don't know. Mm-hmm. 
But it's really ironic that they would say, I'm going to rape and kill you and burn your children, and then their whole house gets on fire. Right. <sighs> Michael? I, are you... Are you just, just quiet here listening to this thinking, my goodness, these, uh, these, wow. Damn. I mean, you know, I, 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 I thought that, go ahead, Katie, no, go sorry. Ahead. No, no, you go ahead. When I researched Beverly Carter's case, you know, I thought that they were off. And a little strange, but now I'm thinking two sociopaths. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Without and, a doubt. And that with then and Lowry Crystal is as bad as Lewis. Depraved as right Lewis. Now, I think that he ignited that in her. If I'm going to be completely honest, I think that mm-hmm. he had all of these words and ideas or whatever, and that seemed exciting to her. But when it came down to it, he got scared. But she wasn't. She was like, oh, I like mm-hmm. it. Mm-mm. Nope, you do what I say because I said it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, because... The, the stuff that they're doing is just, you know, so self-serving and, you know, to meet their needs. And that's the only thing that matters. They were very much that way. Yeah. So, um... I mean, my... So, uh, all of that... Like, all of this is going on, and I'm scared, and I don't really know what to expect, because at first I was going to be fiery back, right, my personality. But once I realized when, like, my kid did not come home, that mm-hmm. I better shut my mouth and, and like, quietly bow out. Um, uh, so after that... They, but I think you were quietly working against them. I, I was. I was trying to. So I start researching. And I end up probably not the correct way, but I end up finding out who his probation officer is. And I find her. And I message her. And she happens to be from a town that I have family in. So we spend Mm -hmm. all of this time on the phone. And I'm like, listen, they have firearms and he's on probation. Like, get in that house. Arrest him. And she says, like, I I can't. You can't just call in and say that. This due process has to be followed. So the due process. He has to get arrested. And then I can do my part. And I promise you, mm-hmm. once that happens, I will do my part. So it took me a couple weeks, 
But I did every single thing I was supposed to do. He got arrested. She was supposed to do her part, but then they removed him from her caseload before she got the chance to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she called crying and said, I did everything I could. I, yeah. I can't help anymore. And, you know, I I thought about a couple of things last night after you and I talked. The first thing, I think what she meant was she needed some kind of corroboration of what you were telling her to be able to go in there. That makes and sense. And search. Um, and, you know, I guess the context when you were making police reports either – they were avoiding talking to the police or the police weren't because they saw it as a neighbor's dispute. The police weren't really working that hard to talk to them because as a parolee, when he has contact with the police, he has to disclose that to his parole officer and his parole officer gets notice of it. Do you know if police ever interviewed him in connection with any of your reports? I know for a fact they did. Okay. I watched. Okay. He lived four doors down. And I don't, like, I don't want this to be about some kind of, of something that it's not. But my, I guess, I feel like. No, you go ahead, please. Go ahead. I, I think he fell through the cracks. I's weren't dotted. T's once weren't crossed. Yes. Maybe the officers didn't. Maybe he didn't disclose he was on parole. Maybe they didn't run him because, again, they saw this as a neighborly dispute. And that makes sense. But kind of my whole standpoint on that is, these beat cops, these people that show up as first responders, oh, my gosh. I could not imagine having their jobs ever. But put you in a yeah. situation like this where it's one person against the other and, you know, whatever. This person might be crazy. That person might be crazy. Whatever. But, like, some kind of training needs to happen where they can, like, identify, do something which is the mm-hmm. whole reason, which I know we're, we're not even talking about this, but, like, that's the entire reason Trent and I started a, a nonprofit. Like, this is the premise for it. Mm-hmm. I get it. You don't know on the front end. But if you're hired as a police officer, it's your job to find it. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not God. You don't know everything. I get that. But you've got to look. Because it was there. Yeah. And you got to ask the right questions. Right. And you have to know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Like, you get, like the smooth talker that comes in and is like, well, you know, everything's really fine. That person's just crazy. That's the one you need to question. Not the one that's going, oh, my gosh, this thing happened. Like, they, they look at it like, not all of them. I don't, I don't mean to, like, generalize, but it seems like the louder person seems to be more unstable. But if you could imagine the most traumatic thing of your entire life happening, 
you're going to be unstable. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to scream. Exactly. Like, yeah, you would think that people would be trained to realize that, you know, obviously you're going to be in a more upset state than the person. I'd honestly, in that case, be more worried with the person who came in calm than the person that wasn't freaking out. Right. Right. You and I both, but when every single thing that you deal with is chaos and turmoil and and like crazy, crazy things, the only thing you want is somebody calm. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that the cops would, like, gravitate towards the wrong thing to do. They need more training. Right. Which is why. And, you know, and I think sometimes when I look at it, common sense is not a flower that grows in everyone's garden. Fact. So, and it's very, very difficult very sometimes. You you look at, well, why didn't you do this? I, I do it all the time. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do that? And then I think, well, in the moment, they just didn't think of that. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course. Always. So, you know, I, I, and I, I would, I would be willing to bet that every individual officer who dealt with him during that time probably felt something. Of course they did. If I, I think Beverly that Carter. I survival trauma, if, if I think that even for five seconds that I have that, which I do, it plagues me and has not ever stopped. I dream it repeatedly mm-hmm. for six years. If I think that I have that, think about the officers dealt with me that also knew my name and then saw my name and my police reports on the news. Mm-hmm. You don't think they're kicking themselves? Because they are. 110%. And it's not their fault. And hope- First of all, they're grossly underpaid and way right. overworked. And all we can hope for is that they learned a lesson. Then down the road, if if they're in that situation again, they're going to handle it better. They won't be. And they will yeah. handle it better, but they won't be. It's going to be the newbies that they put as beat cops that show up to mm-hmm. these things where people file police reports like, it's a cycle, and I get it, and it sucks. I don't know how loud right. you can get. Right. So, um, now, after Lewis was arrested, um, you told me last night, uh, apparently, while he was on the lam prior to being even being arrested and before police had identified Crystal, what was she up to? So I had her blocked from a lot of, of things, but then once once this happened, I unblocked her, but I was not friends with her. And so I could see that she was on Facebook Marketplace 
trying to sell computers, phones, all kinds of anything that could, like, store data. And it, I, like, freaked out. So I messaged her, hit one of their bondsmen, and I was like, uh, problem. And they responded back with, like, we're already on it. We're sending it to the police. Like, there's nothing else we can do. Mm -hmm. So for me, as an outsider, in that moment, it kind of felt like, well, that was futile. That didn't matter. Uh, Actually, I mean, that kind of counted against her. They were able to seize a lot of electronics. Because I looked over the warrants and I looked over the motions to get stuff back, which is really ballsy of them. And um, they were able to seize and recover all the emails and all the all the things that Tronic data that tied them square to the murder and the kidnapping. So, and and that her attempt to get rid of that evidence is probably one of the reasons she pled guilty. I believe that. But that's also the um, reason that she cannot apply for an appeal or any kind of anything. The only thing that she can do is ask for clemency. Right. That's it. Right. She's going to do it now and probably in another five years. All the way up until she's done with her sentence. Like, I don't know. I feel like genuinely... The public would be at more danger with her being released early mm-hmm. than if he will. I agree. They're evil. And she was the ringleader. I mean, she wasn't just the ringleader. Like, he had a lot of criminal whatever to, to tie into it. But she played such a major role that he wouldn't have done what he did if it weren't for her. Now, she wouldn't have either. But neither one of them can go free. And I thought it was cryptic that she said to her in her clemency request, like, I'm not going to be in Arkansas. I want to go home to Louisiana. Louisiana don't want you either. Uh Uh-huh. You're bad. Exactly. Yeah. Or Texas. She said she's got family in both places. She's from Lake Charles. Texas will crucify her. Let her go first. <laughs> yeah. If she yeah. even sneezes wrong. If they had done that in Texas, they would oh, probably both be on death row. Right. Exactly. They should be. I'm sorry. When all this happened, it was like the whole death row thing, like our injections or whatever, they're going to like expire and whatever and my dad was calling me like Katie I know you're a crime buff like do you do you want to go to that I'm like absolutely I don't want to see anybody die but if it were them mm-hmm. find me up I'll be front row oh and I yeah. mean that I, I remember literally and I was telling Lisa about this I believe on the show that you listened to I, I remember the outrage honestly in the public when they didn't get the death penalty People were pretty pretty darn upset. We didn't have yeah. the medication that was not expired. We couldn't kill well, them. Well, so now they the, are the, no. fighting with 
their freedom. I I think what happened was Crystal Lowry, because she pled guilty and agreed to testify, she was given a 30-year sentence. And because then she either, pled guilty. Right. And then either the district attorney decided to drop the death penalty with Lewis or the jury, for whatever crazy reason, um, had sympathy and found so. something that mitigated not on the, table. the crime. Oh, it wasn't on. They may have elected not to go for the death penalty. I I don't recall. I think they initially were going to seek the death penalty, and something procedural may have also occurred where they couldn't. I think that was it, where they couldn't because the only death penalty drugs we had were expired. No. Like the, it was a, the, it was a thing. Because whether or not they're going to have the drugs wouldn't apply to a a prosecution that's ongoing at that time because it's they're not going to be he's not going to be taken from the courtroom and executed because he's going to have direct appeal state post conviction and then federal habeas so it but I think it was something procedural his attorneys didn't get notice or well, something appeal, or they may have even elected like not a- to because they weren't because Crystal Lowry was not going to also be facing the death penalty because there's so much that outrage when one murderer gets the death penalty and the other one doesn't for the same crime. Just like, you know, it's not right, fair for somebody to get married. 50. <laughs> then they're still married. And yeah. Then, and I, let's stay married. I personally, and then, oh, I personally think that she wants to help him and she can't do it in prison. So she wants to get out of prison and then she can start helping him. The entire premise of me opposing this. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. They think that they will be better if one of them is out and they're probably right. Do I think he's ever going to get out? Probably not. She might. Oh, no. She will. I mean, at max. Yeah. She's got, what, 30 years? She's got a 70%, so 21, yeah. But that's minimum. If the parole board says, I don't believe you and I don't like you, and I just say no because you look weird, then she Mm -hmm. can't. She's in there for 30, but that's the max. Right. Which also isn't fair. No, but you you know, there's give or take, give and take. And they it shouldn't be given they take had a lot of evidence Beverly but the testimony Yeah. The the testimony from Lowry, especially with Lewis's defense was crucial. Because if they'd both gone to trial and they'd both had that same defense, which is ludicrous, I know, but jury or one juror might have bought it. 
No, I agree with you. I agree with and you. The best thing that found she him guilty done of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. And, she pled and guilty to first degree murder, which is much better than manslaughter. But at the same time, like this is not okay. I thought it was. I thought it was capital murder. I have her sentencing. Well, I, I and... think that she pled guilty to first degree murder, which took death penalty off the table. I could be wrong. Hang on just a second. I know she sent uh, – no, you're right, correct. First-degree murder. Um, she was sentenced 10 years to 40 years to life. And they gave her 30. Or, or that was the range, rather. 10 years to 40 years to life. And then kidnapping 10 to 40 or life. And their agreement for her testimony was 30 years on the first-degree murder. And really, I I think on the kidnapping, she should have gotten at least some time, maybe 10 on kidnapping. But they merged the sentences into 30 years. So Yeah, that's not. uh, Again, I'm a lawyer. I have no idea. I just know what almost happened to me. I don't. I, right. don't, I don't agree. No. I would agree. Did the prosecution ever reach out to you for Lewis's sentencing? Oh, I went into hiding. Okay. So the U.S. Marshals contacted me to try to find out if I knew where he might be before he was ever arrested, or if mm-hmm. I knew anything, and I couldn't give them anything of substance. I mean, I would have if I could, but I couldn't. And so it became this thing. And I literally, at the time, I had gone back to work at the bank that I used to work at. And I worked literally across the street from the courthouse. Like, it's crosswalk. There's nothing in between. When that trial went on. And everybody was texting and calling and wanted to, like, send me all this stuff. And I, like, there I was just hiding because I was scared. Like, what if Mm -hmm. they didn't, what if, what if they didn't go to prison? Like, who are they going to come get? Y'all made sure they remember me. Right. Yeah. I think, though, facing him in court. Might have helped you. I, I agree. Right because then and there. Because it's been six years and I can't let it go. And and I'm like I said, I'm surprised uh, because a lot of the things that they did with Beverly Carter, they did to you using you know apps and spoofing numbers and all those you know subterfuge type. I just kind of think it's sad that, like, I could say that, and and people knew that, and then they removed people from cases and, and did whatever they had to do, and it was lost information. It was gone. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter anymore. Every single thing that I screamed from the rooftop should have prevented 
what happened and it didn't. Right. Which then silences me. I can't say anything because that's cruel. Where do I go from here? I just sit quiet. That was my only option yeah. for forever. And so now here I am, and I realize she's not going to get out. I know that. Mm-hmm. But I have to talk. Maybe in five right. years, it'll keep her from getting out next time. Or or maybe maybe something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You ought to go on the Vine system and sign up for alerts so that you'll know everything that happens. With both of You're them. You're right. I should do that. And, you know, if anything's going to change, um, you'll know. So, why don't we do this? Why don't we take? Why don't we take a quick break? And we'll come back in a few minutes. Okay, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Clear and Convincing with Michael Cardingham and Lisa O'Brien. We'll be right back after this. Monday night, join the bad guy, Brad Hicks, the money man, Michael Carnahan, and of course, the pretty boy, Sean Castleberry, as they bring you your humorous look at all current events going on in the world. It's the American Idiot Show, live on Talk Radio 49. Every other Thursday night, right here on Talk Radio 49, join your hosts, Michael Carnahan and Cornbread, as they bring you the best wrap-up show in indie professional wrestling. It's the ASWF Aftermath Show, only on Talk Radio 49 and ASWF Wrestling's Facebook Live.
Every Tuesday night, join Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien for the Clear and Convincing Podcast, live on Talk Radio 49. A look at the most important cases in the country's history, not from the court of public opinion, but from the eyes of the court. Every Tuesday night, live right here on Talk Radio 49. Michael Carnahan here once again telling you it has never been easier to listen to your favorite Talk Radio 49 shows on the go. If you have iTunes, you can go ahead and subscribe at iTunes at Talk Radio 490 or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can go on YouTube, the American Idiots Podcast, or you can go to the Clear and Convincing Podcast if that's more your style. We have something for everyone here at Talk Radio 49, and it's never been easier to keep up. Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, verdict count one. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as to count one, first degree murder, guilty. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I done said the right thing, but it must have used the wrong line. I've been on the right trail, but it must have Good evening. This is Clear and Convincing with Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien where we explore the most infamous cases in our country's history based not on the court of public opinion, but from the perspective of the courts. This time the court will read the verdict. On count one, the verdict reads as follows. We, the jury, find the defendant, Stephen A. Avery, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the first count of the information. And we're back. Yes, ma'am, we are. And Katie, that song, Roar, was for you. (laughs) I hope you're not opposed to Katy Perry. No, I love Katy Perry. Good. So that's there are so few songs in that era that I personally like because I'm a classic rock person. But that's one of them. Ooh. I'm on your so. team. <laughs> <laughs> but when I hear that song on the radio, if I'm you know channel surfing, I turn it up and I sing aloud in my car. That is your anthem now. It is. I agree. So, and uh, you have taken your experience and 
tried to make something positive come out of it. So why don't you tell us about your nonprofit, uh, your name, who you are, what you do, and uh, how people can find out more about you. So my name is Katie. Um, I am the CFO of a nonprofit, which is called the Amy Thompson Gallery and Wellness Center. Um, Our entire premise is to help women, which, honestly, if you think about it, I felt that way about Crystal at one point. Um, Our whole point is to provide this third space, right? Like you're at home, you're at work, and there is no third space unless it's a church or some kind of religious something. Well, for people from the from different areas, right? Like lesbian, gay, bi, trans, whatever they are, they don't have that space because they don't feel comfortable walking into a church. So our whole point is to be all-inclusive. We offer um, group therapy sessions. I personally speak heavily on um, domestic violence and try to get you in contact with multiple different shelters or or people that could, could help in some kind of tragedy um, mm-hmm. we do we, we have an art gallery which is my very best friend that's kind of her space she's an artist she just graduated with her masters and like that's kind of like her zone um, but the three of us we each have our own spot and we do our very best to offer to our community out here everything that that normally you couldn't get. We live in the South. We're like super Southern, super mm-hmm. good old boys club, all of that. Um, but I don't want any woman left behind. I don't want any person left behind. So it matters to us that we kind of we give that third space. You can go to work and you can be home and you can have whatever other outlets you have, but for us it matters that that we're this other safe space. Mm-hmm. Whether it's free therapy or, or whatever it is. Um, we do lots of different seminars on financial independence and um, domestic violence resources and anxiety, depression, addiction, all of that, like, come home to us. You will never, ever, ever be alone again. Whether it's just me and the other couple people that that started this, um, you'll never be alone. All right. And I think you mentioned uh you you do offer or developing training seminars for law enforcement and different people oh, within the that. legal 
community. We've done that. So in all of this, I ended up becoming friends with the with one of the captains in a local police department. So when all this stuff happened, I was like, uh, excuse me, somebody should have been looking at this. And he was like, I agree. Okay, bet. Let me come speak. He's like, I don't know about that. So it took a little bit, and then he was finally like, okay, come speak. So not only did I go speak, but a couple different local shelters came also. And so I was able to say, like, hey, here's my story, and here's what happened to me. And then the shelter advocates were able to also say, well, this is not, like, unique to her. This, this happens everywhere. Which then prompted this whole thing where all of these different police officers were then taught, like, what signs to look for and where they should go and all of that in regards to any kind of domestic anything. I hope that it made a difference. I don't know for sure. But I know that if they didn't at least have that, then then absolutely nothing would have come from it. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And you are also uh, working on an opposition that you're going to be sending out to the governor, parole board, and reaching out to uh, Beverly's son, Carl. Yeah. And so, you know, you're 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 going to roar. I mean, I I I have to. Mhm. If I don't. And no one will. Right. If Beverly's and family contact me, then I'm 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 on I'm on board with that. If mm-hmm. but regardless, even if they do or don't, the parole board, the governor, whoever has any kind of decision making rights here, they have to hear me before they do mm-hmm. that. They have to. If they don't right then I did not do service in any way, shape, or form to her or her family or anyone. Yeah. And I think it's important that everybody knows it's not it's not just for you. It's for Beverly and her family. Not and for me And I at admire all. you uh, a lot. Especially considering that. who they are, Lowry and Lewis. As long as they stay where they are, the world is safer. If they don't, I don't know how I'll handle that. Mm-hmm. Truthfully. They're bad. Well, they I'm, are bad people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I'm hoping that, that it doesn't come it never comes to that. And maybe twenty one years in prison she'll finally 
divorcing. She'll be what, forty three? Yeah. I That's not old. Well, enough. she's she was born in seventy three, I think. So she is now I'm horrible at math. Well, she's nine years younger than me. So she's already in her forties. She'll be in her late fifties, early sixties. I think she's about forty-four yeah. now. You're probably she was right. young, She was older than he was. Yeah, she was. So. Doesn't matter. But, uh, well, thank you for reaching out to us and talking to us tonight. Um, Of course, keep in touch. I'll keep in touch with you. And. Of course. I'll keep an eye on what's going on with Crystal Lowry. I'll Google her damn name every day. (laughs) Absolutely. So. Um, is there anything else you want to add or or talk about? I think we've covered. I think we covered everything. You know, your, I just your story and your experience, and I can I tell it's hard it, for you. It it really is. Like this, this, I was sick all day today. I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. I mm-hmm. just. She cannot get out. She doesn't. She. She does not deserve it. She's every bit as culpable as he is. I mean, maybe even more so. In some ways, I guess. Right. I don't know. It just. It's really, really important that. I would never do this. I would never talk. I would never say my name. I would never do any of that if I really mm-hmm. didn't stand behind it. Yeah. And we're referring to you only as Katie because um, that's for your security and your peace of mind. Right. Absolutely. But that's my home. So, and um, and the bad know, guys it, know every story I'm telling the same way I know it. So even if I said mm-hmm. my name was Megan or Sarah or whatever, if even if I made up a name, they would know it was me. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. They are evil. Stay where they are for the rest of their days. I totally agree. Michael, do you have any questions? I mean, I think we uh, went above and beyond where I thought this show was going to go. I mean, honestly, I'm still sitting here in shock at what the hell happened to you. I mean, high five for you getting through that. Good Lord. Like I said, at one point, I I was like, hey, you should have beat their ass right there. Honestly, but I really almost sometimes wish that I would have. But I had no grounds. And that would have meant that my right. kids had a had a different life than they do now. And and literally, like I posted on Facebook 
when all of this happened, like, okay, I'm going to hug my baby just a little bit tighter tonight because thank you, God. And that's the saddest thing ever to, like, have to feel or think or, or post or any of that. But the alternative... Absolutely. I could have saved one family and, and injured mine. Like, I, there's no happy medium. It's one or the other. Uh, yeah. Because I think they saw you as vulnerable. And more likely than not, you weren't as vulnerable as they thought you were. And that really pissed not. them off. It did. So. But... It pissed them off enough that the next person that they did something to, they didn't give an option. They didn't give her an out. Mm-hmm. I had out. Right. And that's sad. Right. What happened to her should have never happened. Ever. Not in a million years. Moving the squeaky wheel? That should have stopped it then. It didn't. Mm-hmm. Every single other thing that happened after that, like, it should have never happened. Something's broken. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to fix it, but something's broken. Right. And hopefully in 2014, they took steps to fix it. I hope so. So. Well, thank you again. Um... I think that, I mean, I I don't think there's anything else, mm-hmm. anywhere else to go. Just thank you for speaking out and sharing Thanks your for experience. Me. And, oh, you're more than welcome. And if there's ever an issue that you, you know, want to come back and talk about, just let me know. And, of course. you know, we'd love talking to you. Well, that's sweet. All right. Well, you take care. I know your your babies are sleeping, but go relax, and the hard part is over. Yeah. And you're going to be unstoppable now. I wish I was then. I don't know. Like, I... I am so grateful for you guys for listening to me and talking to me and having me on the show and all of that. But like, just like a, a day late and a dollar short, a little bit. Absolutely. But you know what? I mean, looking at life on the positive side, silver lining, maybe there's somebody out there who's walking the flying line and thinking about doing some stupid shit and, Maybe something. And maybe this is awesome. Maybe there's somebody that, yeah, or maybe there's somebody out there that's going through something similar to what you guys are, what you went through, and maybe it's going to empower them to uh, make something happen for themselves or something, hopefully. That's the hope. And there's there's a possibility that other people who have had encounters with Lewis and and Lowry are going to hear this. And they're going to find the courage for them to speak up as well and add their voices. You're adding your voice to the Carters. Have no doubt about it. 
that's honestly the most redeeming thing that could possibly happen is mm-hmm. that I finally got a second to say this happened and, and what happened to you should have never. Right. Okay. So, well, mysteries of the universe. We we just have there to. There are so many. Yeah, and we can't drive yourselves crazy. I guess I always try to look at the positive and to see something good come out of something horrible. And I think both you and Carl Carter have done that because he started the foundation to help improve safety for realtors like his mom. Right. And, you know, you are working in your community to help victims like yourself and and domestic violence victims and people with nowhere to turn when they need a shoulder or a helping hand. And that's, you know, that's a good, a good thing. It is. So, all right, well, take care. If you need me, call me. You've got my phone number. Reach out to me on Facebook. And I'll be here. Okay. I definitely want to thank you for coming on, Katie, and sharing your story. I do appreciate it. And thank you for reaching out. I mean, definitely. It was some, it was a heck of a story that you uh, let us in on today. And my goodness, it's still just mind blowing to me. Yeah. I thank you guys so much for just listening to me and um, I pray to God none of the Carter family feels any kind of negative anything from all of this but um, it was really important to me that I I said what I needed to say and I and I told the truth and I don't know. I I let it all go. So I I really truly hope that anyone that listens, anybody that has anything to do with any of this, comes forward because I know there are more. There are more of me. Mhm. I know a couple of them. Um. I just hope that. Everything pans out like it should. They're never going to get out, and I know that. But five, ten, fifteen years from now, no matter how many times she applies for clemency, this will be heard. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. my whole goal. I'm not going to deal with this in five, ten, fifteen years. I don't want to. Right. No, I I will keep up with it, and I expect we will still be on the air. I will put this show up every time. Okay, I appreciate that. And remind everyone who listens 
what you went through and what they are. Have no doubt about it. And again, you know, you're, you did what you could. It's not your, you didn't weren't, it wasn't your inaction. You took as much action as you could. You had your own risks in that. And um, I think you do need to let go of the guilt. Because I really do not see, I do not see anything that you could have done differently aside from actually murdering them. And that's not who you are. That's not who I am, and you're right. But genuinely, like, if the roles were reversed, right, like if if that was you, You can't fathom that. You can't. You can't, oh, I know. You can't make it up. No. No. And I know giving advice is often easier than taking it. But I hope Always. that, you know, with a little bit more time, now that you've spoken up, that you will be able to let go of some of that guilt and see that you're still trying to keep other people safe. That's what you want. And that's, you know, you, you do your best. And, and you, you know, can't do any more. And you don't control right. other people. I know there are some of us no. out there that have a really hard time with that concept. But <laughs> you really, truly don't control other people. So you're only responsible for your actions. And what other people do is on them. Just keep telling yourself that. You guys have a good night's rest. And thank you so much for spending all of this time with me. Oh, you're appreciate. more than welcome. Absolutely. We appreciate, it was a we appreciate talking to you and you okay. speaking out. Okay. You guys have a good night. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. You too. Stay in touch. All right. You too. Night. Good night. Wow. Just wow. I know. And on that note, I don't think there's much more we can say. So. Uh, and woo. well, the only other thing I can say is, you know, my heart breaks for her because she feels this guilt, and it, it's just been eating at her mm-hmm. and Absolutely. you know I just I almost I there are a couple times when when she got emotional that I almost started crying right along with her because it breaks my heart that as hard as she tried that she feels right. bad that it didn't it yeah. didn't work 
You can tell she does, but you know. Yeah. It'll... I think now speaking out and opposing, writing a letter of opposition, I think that, that those are the first steps for, for Katie. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, let's put a bow on this one. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'BrienLN. Join us next week on Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 15, State of New York versus Stacey Castor. On August 20th, 2005, Castor's husband, David, died in what was initially believed to be a suicide. Aspects of the scene bothered detectives, and they hesitated to close the case quickly. Stacy's fingerprints were found on a glass of antifreeze that was in the bedroom on the bedside table, and detectives found a turkey baster with trace amounts of antifreeze in it, hidden in a trash can in the kitchen. Surveillance of David's grave and Stacy's phone conversations eventually gave them probable cause to exhume the body of Stacy's first husband, Michael Wallace, who died suddenly in January 2000. Shortly after the exhumation, with rumors of findings making the rounds, Stacy's oldest daughter, Ashley, was found unresponsive in her bedroom with a conveniently placed suicide note. Responsibility for the deaths of both Michael Wallace and David Castor. Michael Carnahan and I will talk about the case against Castor, the evidence proving that she killed two husbands and attempted to kill her daughter, her trial, and her direct appeal. We'll also talk about Castor's post-conviction claims in state court and her sudden death in 2016. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.